Okay, where we are in history in Judges chapter 16 is that Israel has conquered the promised land and they have had a great success. No man could stand before them and they drove out many of the nations that were there. Uh, There was a bit of disobedience at the end of the conquest of the promised land and that is that Israel did not fully drive out all of the nations that the Lord had given to them into their hand. The Lord had promised them that he would give them success and they just didn't bother as a nation to completely flush out the Amorites and the Hittites and everybody else who was in there. So what you see when you you begin to read the passages in in Judges is that it only took one generation before Israel forgot what God had done for them. They'd been living in the promised land for less than 40 years, and already they had forgotten what God had done for them. And so Israel began a cycle of chastisements from the Lord, where the Lord would bring in one of those nations that they had not completely driven out, and that nation would oppress them. And then he would raise up a judge after Israel would cry out to the Lord, And uh, we all know this. And the Lord would uh, release them from their bondage. He would uh, allow them to be freed from the tyranny or the the rule of some other nation. So this went on for time and time and time again. And the Lord chose to use different nations. He chose to use the Moabites, the Ammonites. He also chose to use the Philistines. And the Philistines were probably one of the more powerful uh, groups of people who was in the land before Israel got there. And so in Judges chapter 16, Israel is under the rule of the Philistines or under the oppression of the Philistines. And the Lord has raised up Samson. And Samson was born and he, was, he had taken a Nazarite vow when he was young. And the vow entitled, entailed him never cutting his hair. And not cutting his hair was the secret of his strength. And the Lord was going to use that to help him be a judge that would lead Israel. Samson was a man who was married, and his wife was taken away from him by his wife's father. He married outside of the house of Israel. He married a foreign woman, so that tells you where his heart is to begin with. So he's not shepherding, he's not counseling his own heart well. By chapter 16, we've had a couple of chapters of Samson's vengeance against the Philistines. And he's a strong man, he's, he's very, very strong, he's been able to do this. So he has, um, in the beginning of chapter 16, he's met a harlot, and he's enjoyed this harlot, and so we know a little bit more about his his own personal heart shepherding. Then he meets a gal named Delilah in verse 4. He meets her, and it came about that he loved this woman in the valley of Sorek. She's not a Jew. She's definitely not a Jew. She's a Gentile, and he loves her. And so he's still not shepherding his heart well. Verse 5, the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him. That tells you a little bit more about their relationship. And see where his great strength lies and how we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we'll give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So the, the key there is entice him and learn the secret of his strength. So you see three different opportunities where she approaches him. She approaches him in verse 6. And she says, please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to afflict you. So he tells her, bind me. And this is what happens. So she does that. Verse 8, the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried and she bound him. She had men lying in wait in the inner room. So she's deceptive and Samson can't see this. His affections for her have blinded him. And she says, the Philistines are on you. He snaps the cords and his strength was not discovered. But he's already putting himself in a, in a very compromised position. He does that two more times. He does that in verse 10. She approaches him again and says, you've deceived me. He's deceived her, but he himself is being deceived by his proximity to her. And the same cycle repeats. And he gives her another line in verse 11. If you bind me tightly with new ropes... So they do that. And you see at the end of verse 12, he snaps the ropes in his arms like a thread. So then she says to him in verse 13, up to now you have deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. So he tells her again. And in verse 14 comes to pass that he wasn't being honest with her. Obviously, he didn't give her the secret of his strength and he was not defeated. So three times he's, He's had an opportunity. The Lord has given him an opportunity to see that he is not in a good place. He is not in a good place before the Lord. 
And the Lord has spared him each one of those three times. So she turns on the charm in verse 15 and she said to him, How can you say I love you? So that tells you even more about where his heart is. He has affections for a foreign woman and he doesn't have affections first and foremost for God's law. Verse 17, so he told her all that was in his heart. He gives her the secret of his strength and it's in his hair. So when Delilah had seen that he told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up once more. And he has told me all that is in his heart. Then they came up to her. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 tells you a little bit about their relationship. Look at the posture that you see there. She made him sleep on her knees and called for the men to shave off the locks of his hair. So he's very, very, very close to her, inappropriately close to her. He's not shepherding his heart well because he's not staying away from the things that are deceptive. His heart is lying to him and he's not listening to the truth. The truth is God's word that says, I have for you to be satisfied with worshiping me and loving me and finding your joy and your contentment in obeying my law. And here you are blatantly disregarding my law. I've given you three warnings for this, to see this. And you see what happens. She shaves. She gets his hair shaved by the man who comes in. He has no strength. And they grab him. They poke out his eyes. He, he goes to use his strength, and his strength had left him. And so the lesson for us is not that we're like Samson in this particular way, but we're like Samson in the way that we can be blinded by the opportunities the Lord gives us to see where we are not shepherding our heart well. So when the Lord gives you an opportunity to see where your heart shepherding is not good, it's putting you in a compromised position, it's putting you in a weak position, take heed. Take heed and respond to that well. Respond by running to the Lord, running to what you know to be true, because the Lord loves you and he cares for you. He loves me and he cares for me. Um, Things did not go well for Samson for quite a long time. The Lord ended up using Samson to avenge himself on the Philistines. But take note of a lesson like this, and that is that the Lord will give us opportunities to see our own weakness, to see our own folly, in whatever circumstance it is. Samson's here was making poor choices with a woman. Uh, Whatever ours is, poor choices with our use of funds or use of entertainment or anything else. When the Lord gives you an opportunity to recognize where you are before him, take good heed of that and turn and run to him. So that's the, the encouragement that I have for you guys this morning. Thanks again for being with us. Uh, We're going to break for our discussion groups. We'll be back here by about 7.50, and I'll start teaching right about 8 o'clock. Thanks, guys. Okay, so we find ourselves uh, on a daily basis, maybe even on an hourly basis, where something that we have expected to happen does not work out the way we desire it to happen, the way we desire it to work out. And we have an expectation for something that's good. And a lot of times it's good things. And what we're going to be talking about today is how to respond rightly to that situation when a situation doesn't turn out the way we were hoping it would turn out. Um, We're going to be looking at several different passages in God's word. So before we get started, let's go to him and ask him to help us, shall we? Father, again, I thank you for these men, and I thank you for the privilege that it is to stand here in front of them. And Lord, I pray that you would be pleased to use this time in your word to grow each one of us in how we think about ourselves, how we think about our circumstances around us, how we think about our Bibles, and how we think about you. Lord, I pray that our time together would grow each one of these men, Lord, so that we would be ones who more and more know how to respond biblically to circumstances that come to us. So I pray that you would help us, Lord, and I pray it for your glory, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we're going to be looking at how we respond when circumstances don't turn out the way we we bless, the way we desire. All of this has to do with shepherding our heart. We use that phrase often here at Grace Bible Church. We use it a lot here in Build. Because that's one of the main things we want everybody to get out of this is how important it is to shepherd our own hearts. But what we want to know is that when you read your your Bibles, you will come to find that shepherding your own heart is expected. You see that it's expected when you 
read your Bible, you find that um, it's expected that the Christian is praying. It's expected that the Christian is in the word. And so those are the foundations. So today we're going to be talking about two things. And one is how do we shepherd our hearts when our Bible is open, when we're meeting with God alone. And the second is how do we shepherd our hearts when um, we're living out the rest of our day, when we're at work, when we're at home, when we're doing whatever it is we're doing, when we're socializing, how do we shepherd our hearts with all of the things that are going to come to us? What we want to understand in all of this is that the most dangerous voice in the whole world is the one that's within ourselves. It's our own voice and what it speaks to us because it's so subtle and so often it's there to deceive us. So let's go to the end of our packet. You should have something from Paul Tripp at the very bottom. And it's something that Paul Tripp wrote about what we do when we talk to ourselves. And if you are familiar with the Tripps, you know that these are two men who do a lot of writing about parenting subjects and parenting issues. But this man is a pastor, and he knows a lot about the human heart. So I'm just going to read this. We'll read it through together. And as we read this, um, no doubt there will be some things there that are very good for us to listen to individually. It's called You Talk to Yourself by Paul Tripp. No one is more influential in your life than you are. Because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. People laugh at that statement, but I'm really quite serious. You're in an unending, incredibly important conversation with your soul every moment of every day. You interpret, organize, and analyze what's going on inside and outside of you. You talk to yourself about the past. You talk to yourself about the future. And you talk to yourself about what you're experiencing in the present. Obviously, this is an internal conversation. If you had this conversation aloud, they would probably put you in a ward. And that's true. The things that I find myself saying to myself sometimes are a little scary. But that's why it's so dangerous. You often don't even realize that you're saying things to yourself, but you are. You're saying things to you that will shape your desires, actions, and your theology. What you're saying to you about God and your circumstances. What are you saying? Do your words stimulate faith, hope, and courage? Or does your talk stimulate doubt, discouragement, and fear? Do you remind yourself that God is near? Or do you reason with yourself that given your circumstances, he must be distant? And here's a question. How wholesome, faith-driven, and Christ-centered is the conversation that you have with yourself every day. Do you remind yourself of your need? Do you point yourself once again to the beauty and practicality of God's grace? Do you tell yourself to run toward him in those moments when you feel like running from him? No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. What will you say to you today? God bless. That last question is is very, very important. That's what we're going to talk about is what do you say to you today? So the best way to constrain, the best way to guide, the best way to strengthen what you say to yourself is to shepherd your heart when your Bible is open. So we're going to go back and we're going to take a look here at how we shepherd our heart when our Bible is open. We all meet with the Lord and the intent here is to just reinforce what we already know, to strengthen what we already know, um, why we meet alone with God over his word. And his word does several things for us. And these are really, really important because these things form the foundation from which we speak to ourselves, the foundation out of which we speak to ourselves. So one reason why we meet with God over his word is because this is where God has revealed himself most clearly. Write down Psalm 19.1. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God. It's God's word that tells you how God has revealed himself and how God has revealed his glory. It's God's word that tells you where you can find his glory by looking at his creation. 
So I meet with God over his word because his word grows my awe of him, grows my estimation of him, grows my understanding of him. I also meet with God over his word because his word informs me of the nature of my sin and my fallenness before him. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked. You walked according to the course of this world. You walked according to the spirit that's in the working now in the sons of disobedience. You indulged your flesh and your mind. You lived in the lust of your flesh. You were by nature a child of wrath, just like everybody else, just like the rest. I read my Bible every day because it is good for my heart to remember what kind of person I used to be. And scripture, especially in the New Testament, tells you that all over the place. This grows my humility and it guards me from a false sense of pride. I also read my Bible every day because it reminds me of the substitutionary suffering of my Savior to free me from sin's penalty. Never forget this. Write down 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body so we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. It's really important to be reminded of the relationship that our sin was the cause for the wounds of Jesus on the cross. It's really important to remember and never lose sight of the fact that Christ was on the cross because of my personal sin and the offense that that is against God. So that grows me in my sobriety when I consider sin. I don't consider sin lightly. Um, and that's especially important in the world that's around us where the world is more accepting and the more world is more encouraging and the world is more demanding of sin more and more. I wouldn't be surprised if sometime in towards the end of my working career, or certainly in the working career of my kids who've just started their working careers, that uh, they will be asked, we will be asked to sign things that relate to things that compromise our faith. And it will probably be more difficult for us to find employment. Um, I think that's entirely likely. Um, but I need to grow my understanding of the world around me and the fallenness of myself. I meet with God because, in his word, because it strengthens me in the knowledge that Jesus' resurrection has freed me from sin's power. If you're not familiar with Romans 6, be familiar with Romans 6. Verse 7 says, Our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. This grows me in my desire to persevere when I understand that sin no longer has authority over me the way that it used to. Its power has been broken over me. So I read God's word to remind myself that I can actually walk in newness of life in all of the things that are coming along this day. I read my Bible because it reminds me of my own heart and its inclination to deceive me into the fruitless pattern of sin. Galatians 5 is, is a really great chapter. Verse 17 tells us something that's very important. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another so that you may not do what you please. I read my Bible regularly to remind myself that I'm in a mixed condition that uh, I lie to myself. My flesh will, will seek to deceive me at every opportunity. So when I read my Bible, it, it grows my understanding that I need to grow in my distrust of myself and my affections. When I have pride over my own accomplishments, I should be very suspect of that. When I have secret affections for something that doesn't belong to me, I need to be very suspect of that. When I'm jealous of somebody who's been endowed with something or has been entrusted with something by their creator that I haven't been. Um, God's word and the regular exposure to God's word grows my distrust of myself in that. And finally, I read my Bible because it reminds me of my eternal destiny after my days here are done. Um, you can go to many, many places in the New Testament that will help you. One of the most clear is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, second half of that chapter. Uh, it's a great passage. Verses 15 to 17, uh, Christ descends with a shout. The dead in Christ rise first. Then those who are alive at that time of the rapture, they'll meet together with Christ in the clouds and they'll be with him forever. 
in a resurrected condition. Um, Our life is hard. It is challenging. We are beset with our own sin. We're surrounded by the sin of everybody else around us. And to know that you're going to be living and you're going to be alive in a day when sin will no longer be present in you or in any other believer is really, really encouraging. That encourages me to persevere today. So the summary in all of that is we read our Bibles every day because it grows us in our holiness of life. We want to grow in holiness of life. And that holiness of life gives me the foundation I need to shepherd my heart well the rest of the day. It's pretty easy to shepherd your heart well when things are going well. um, But it's more difficult to shepherd your heart well when your expectations of how things are going to go are not met. So that's what we want to look at now, is shepherding my heart throughout the day. There are two ways you can do this. You can counsel your heart from your own desires, or you can counsel your heart from Scripture. Uh, The first is what you don't do, and the second is what you do do. So please understand that what I'm sharing right now is what we don't want to do. (laughs) So um, what we want to understand here is that we have expectations, we have desires. And sometimes we believe that when we have a desire, that we have... Um, that we deserve that desire to be met, and then we get very demanding. So many times, and perhaps a lot of times, our desires are good. I want to provide for my family. That's a good desire. Not only do I want to provide for my family, but I might want to become more equipped professionally so that I can be a better, better provider for my family. I want to grow professionally. I want to be respected. I want to be respected at work. I want to be expected at home. I want to be respected here at church. Those are good things. I want to serve. I want to be prepared to to serve in the next ministry opportunity that comes along. These are all really, really good things. What we want to do is we want to make sure we're thinking biblically about our desires. So I have several verses here that help us understand what Scripture says about what we should desire. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is a great place to start. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. We are to desire, we are to long for our resurrected bodies. That's why I mentioned the 1 Thessalonians 4 passage. We are to desire that day in us. So our question is, do we have a desire to be in the eternal state? Or do we find ourselves being satisfied and content with the things of this world? God gives us a lot of information about the future life because he wants us to grow in our desire and our longing for that. A few verses later, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. What we should do with our desires is we should desire to be pleasing to the Lord. So the question is, is my desire that I'm pleasing to the Lord? Or... Do I even consider what is pleasing to the Lord when I'm entertaining and considering my own desires? Do I ask myself, does this please the Lord? Or is my only thought what would please me? Ephesians 1.4 speaks to our desires. This is talking about God's choice for us before the foundations of the world. God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world that we would be holy and we would be blameless before him. So God chose us positionally to be holy and blameless before him. So is it my desire to represent that position, to represent that blameless position, that holy position in my lifestyle? Or do I often feel justified in my pursuit of myself? There's another verse here that's really helpful. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. This deals with the way we present ourselves to others and our thoughts for others. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love for the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Is it my desire to love my brother, to prefer my brother, to honor my brother ahead of myself? So a good question to ask ourselves is, am I desiring what God's word says I should be desiring? Next thing we want to look at is what our flesh will tell us throughout the day concerning our desires. And what starts as a good desire, I want to be well-equipped to provide for my family. I want to be well-respected. I want to be useful to the Lord. 
um, if our expectations are not met, can lead to a full-on pursuit of sin. And we are very, very prone to lie to ourselves when our expectations are not met. I think we all know this. We go into something, we're looking at it, we have some expectations, we go in, we're doing well, and if it doesn't go as planned, we can turn into some kind of alternate behavior that's not pleasing to the Lord. And this is what we lie to ourselves with. This is a lie we really need to understand, that I deserve what I desire. That I deserve what I desire. Just because I desire it, it means that I must have it. I deserve to have it. I want to give you a, an example from my own life that took place this week. It took place in the last three week, the last three days. So every time I teach a build message, um, I make sure that I have lots of time in the week before to prepare that message. So I cleared my schedule on Wednesday night, on Thursday night, and on Friday night. I had my notes ready, and I was just going to spend that time reviewing my notes and finishing up some things. So I had probably four hours a night reserved to be ready for this message. So I'm sitting on my couch, and I'm thinking, this is good. This is right. I need this time. I deserve to have this time. This is a good desire because I want to teach this church. I want to bless this church. I want to lead this ministry well. I love these men. So um, it is right and it is good for me to have good time here to prepare for this message. So it's about 10 o'clock on Wednesday night, and I'm sitting there on my couch. I've got my notes. I've got my iPad, and I hear this dripping, and it's coming from the ceiling. And I look up to the ceiling and I see these water lines going across the ceiling. And I see the water lines coming down the walls on the side. And I see the bubbling. And oh, this is not good. So the plumber comes out the next morning. The damage mitigation team comes out the next day. We've got heat fans and air moving fans all over the house. Downstairs and upstairs. And I'm supposed to be preparing this build message that I'm teaching right now. Right? This is not meeting my expectations because I was ready to sit down and prepare well. I've got my Bible, I've got my notes, I've got my reference, and that's not what the Lord had for me. Um, what has happened in my life recently is I've, I've had a lot of successes. Things have gone well for me. Things have gone well at work. Things have gone well here. Things are going well on the elder board. Things are going well in my house. I have good relationships. And I had just become accustomed to thinking that things should go according to my plan. And so why would they not go according to my plan on Wednesday night when I'm getting ready to prepare this message? That's because the Lord wanted to show me that I need to actually live out this message that I'm teaching to you guys. And so um, as I was preparing this message, we had lots of fans, lots of heat things going on to dry out all the wood and to dry out all the sheetrock and all the stuff that I don't understand. And lots of phone calls from the plumber and the damage mitigation and the insurance and all of that. And I'm still trying to prepare the message. And so the Lord is teaching me about this message while I'm preparing this message. Because it was, it was very natural inside of me. There was a very strong inclination inside of me for me to demonstrate ungodly character and for me not to shepherd my heart while I'm preparing this message about demonstrating godly character and shepherding your heart. This is no kidding. <laughs> so it's hot in my house. Um, there's noisy in my house. Everything else. Um, God is good. So the Lord has been working on me. And I want to tell you with sincerity that, that I did have to stop and say, you know, if I'm going to stand up here for 45 minutes and teach this message, uh, I need to make sure I'm truly living this out. So I, I looked my wife in the eye and I said, you know, my heart is well over this. It's hard. It's a challenge. It's not a breeze. It's not, oh, it's not a no-brainer. Um, but I had to intentionally stop and say, what does God's word say? So I actually backed up and I read the words here. And I said, this really helps me. Jeremiah 17.9. If you are not familiar with Jeremiah 17.9, you need to be familiar with Jeremiah 17.9. The context there is Israel, Old Testament Israel, 700 years before Christ or thereabouts. Israel has completely come off the rails. Jeremiah is writing to a people who should be representing God to everybody else, but they're not. He says, the heart is deceitful above all else. It's desperately sick. So what I want to do today is share with us just a few ways when we can tell, how we can tell that we are deceiving ourselves. And the way we can tell that we're deceiving ourselves is when we are willing to sin to get what we want. I wanted a calm, smooth block of time to prepare for this message. 
I wanted it. That wasn't what the Lord had for me. So when I'm willing to fall into sin to get what I want, that's when I'm deceiving myself. So ask yourself some questions. Am I willing to be dishonest to conceal something that I don't want exposed? Am I willing to be impatient when I don't accept God's timeline for the events of my life? Am I willing to be greedy when I'm dissatisfied with God's financial provision for me? Am I willing to be lustful when I'm dissatisfied with God's relational provision for me? Am I willing to be jealous when I want possession of something that God has entrusted to another saint? Am I willing to be demanding when I don't get what I want? When we see those things in our lives, that is God's indication to us. Those are red flags to us that we are deceiving ourselves. We're in a state of being deceived. So we need to be very, very suspect of this. So ask questions of yourself. So what I want you to do now is we're going to move on to the section about discouragement, uh, disappointment, discouragement, and despair. So we want the, the red diagram first. Okay, guys? And in this one, we're going to start from the top and we're going to work our way down. In the blue one, you start from the bottom and you work your way up. One of the main issues in all of this when we talk to ourselves is our pride. Pride is central in all of this because pride says, I trust myself, I believe myself, I have greater confidence in what I think should happen than I have in the creator who is overseeing and superintending all of these events in my life. So pride is a big part of this. My pride compels me to be disappointed over unmet expectations because I've asserted what I believe should take place above and beyond and against what God has determined and decreed will take place. So what we're going to do here is we're going to kind of ping pong back and forth from the left side to the right side. We're going to look at the attitude that's reflected and then the way we live that out in the actions. And so the first is there's pride and there's arrogance in place in our life. And you see that near the top. Proverbs 21, 24. The arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. When there's strife in your life, a good question to ask yourself is, am I being pride? Am I being proudful? Am I, am I truly living with pride in my life? Jump across to the right-hand side of the page and what you'll see is that manifests itself in a very certain way. That manifests itself in being demanding. Luke chapter 11, verse 16. Jesus is speaking to a crowd. And this is mostly a crowd of unbelievers. And what these unbelievers are doing is that they're demanding a sign from him. It says, others, to test him, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. There's a group there that wants to see Jesus perform a sign from heaven. It's because they don't believe already. Your belief in the correctness of your desire leads you to place demands on others. So the proud man becomes demanding of others. So if you see demands coming out of your mouth, statements that are coming out of your mouth, if you're barking out instructions to the short ones in your family that are coming out of your mouth, you need to back over to the left-hand side of the column here and say, Am I being proud? Am I prideful? Read Proverbs 21 and examine that for yourself. Another common thing that takes place when we are talking to ourselves, when we're trusting our own words, is that we're wise in our own estimation. Another proverb here, chapter 26, verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, when you read Proverbs, uh, you can see that there are descriptions of all kinds of people. But the person that's on the bottom rung in terms of respectability and everything else and wisdom is the fool. The fool is never spoken of in a positive light in all of Solomon's writings in Proverbs. And here Solomon says there's more hope for the fool than for the man who's wise in his own eyes. His confidence in his own wisdom leads him to assume that his desires are above challenge. Don't question me. Don't challenge me. I'm wise in my own eyes. And that manifests itself in a very certain way, a very particular way, if we jump across to the other side. And that is that we love ourselves. Second Timothy 3.2 says, In the last days men will be lovers of themselves. And so the natural result of trusting in your own estimation is to prefer yourself over other people. It just happens. 
That's the way it is for someone who's in an unmixed sinful condition or someone who's in a mixed condition before the Lord, someone who's been saved but still lives in their body of flesh. The natural result is that you, you prefer yourself above other people. So when you find yourself preferring yourself and indulging yourself consistently or excessively, you need to back up to the left side of the column and ask yourself, am I being wise in my own eyes? Read Proverbs and just see, have you done that? We'll take one more. We won't go through all of them. The third one is, there's a lack of peace in that person's life. Romans 3.17. This is that passage in Romans where Paul is talking about there's nothing good in any person inherently. They don't seek after God. They don't do a number of other things. Uh, Verse 17 says, the path of peace they have not known. This is a person whose relationships are not characterized by peace. They're not characterized by peace because you're talking to yourself and you're deceiving yourself into seeing the world as it is not truly. So that is what the attitude is. The heart that represents that or that demonstrates that is that there's grumbling. Uh, Jude verse 16. Jude is writing to his audience and he's telling them about, he's warning them about a certain kind of people that will enter into the church and infiltrate the church and he'll say, among other things, these men are grumblers and they find fault and they do lots of other things. But because for these people relationships don't mean much for them, they're willing to speak negatively about other people and about circumstances. And so peaceless people grumble. So if you find yourself inclined to grumble, take a look at the relationships in your life and see what kind of condition they're in and ask yourself, am I grumbling? Is there an absence of peace in my relationships? And has my thinking, has my counsel of myself from my own affections contributed to that? So that's the first thing we need to mention is that our pride leads us into that. What you can see is that the person is disappointed because things didn't turn out the way they they anticipated. If they continue in this selfish mode, this mode of thinking where they're listening to themselves, they're quickly going to become discouraged. And my worldly, unbiblical perspective on my situation leads me to discouragement. And we're going to list just one of those attitudes. That's in 2 Timothy 3.4. It's a person who's a lover of pleasure. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, and Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus. Timothy is a younger man. And Paul is helping him understand what is coming in the days, in the end times. 2 Timothy verse 4 in chapter 3 says, In the last days difficult times will come, for men will be, and then he gives a long list of things. In verse 4 he says, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Because he's not getting what he wants, the man seeks satisfaction in some other kind of comfort or pleasure whether this is with TV or with the internet or with exercise, with the way he spends money, with what he eats. Uh, Whenever there's an excessive pattern in his life, the man is demonstrating that he loves himself. So we're going to look across at the other side of this and we're going to see that what what is the parallel action that comes forth from that attitude of loving himself. That is that he finds himself in disputes. He's disputing. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He visited them on multiple occasions. And he wrote the first letter to them to help them understand some answers to questions that they had for him. But he also chastised them. And there was wrong thinking throughout the church history in their relationship with Paul. And he writes to them in chapter 12, verse 20, in his second letter. And he says, For I am afraid that when I come, that perhaps there will be strife and there will be jealousy And there will be disputes. A dispute is a verbal controversy. And a verbal controversy is the natural outcome of conversations involving sinfully angry people. Anger leads to disputes. So a person who loves himself is a man who's angry when he's not getting what he wants. And he loves disputes. So what is happening is the guy is disappointed because something didn't work out the way that he wanted He continues to speak to himself from his own desires and affections. And he becomes discouraged because the Lord has not changed his circumstances. And that continues. The spiral goes down and down and down. And it ends in despair. My unresolved discouragement leads me to despair. 
One of the attitudes there is that the man is ungrateful. And we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 6, verse 35. And here Luke is writing about Jesus' teaching. And Jesus is teaching the way that the Jews should act towards others. And Jesus is teaching in that context. And in verse 36, he says, lend to others. He says, give to others. He says, forgive others. He tells them to serve others in there as well. In verse 35, in the verse before that, Jesus describes God as the one who is kind to ungrateful and evil men. The ungrateful man is the one to whom the saint is encouraged to do good. The one who won't say thank you to you. And this is the kind of person whose relationship with the Lord is so poor and is so bad that he doesn't realize that all good things come from God. So he's thankless. He's so distant from God, he doesn't realize that the things in his life come from God. So he's thankless. And because he's thankless, the corresponding action is that he's prayerless. He doesn't ask God anything. James chapter 4, verse 2. James is describing a group of people who are in a bad place. They're in a very, very bad place. And he says, and this, by the way, is one of the more misquoted verses in the New Testament. Uh, James 4, 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. The emphasis here is not you're not asking. The emphasis here is your relationship from the Lord is so distant and it's so poor that you're not even coming before him to ask him. And so you're dealing with a person who has such a bad relationship with God that he lacks the proximity to God to ask for things, to ask for good things. There's a contrast there, and Tom brought this out the last time he taught this, and this is in uh, Matthew chapter 3 in the Beatitudes. And Jesus said, blessed are, and then he gives a long list of things. And what he lists out are all the definitions and all the characteristics of a New Testament believer. One of the things that he said is, blessed are the poor in spirit. The godly man is the one who knows that he's spiritually bankrupt before God. He's the one who knows that he doesn't have any abilities on his own. He lacks anything good in himself. He's poor in his own spirit, and he knows that he's very needy. So he's quick to ask for mercy, and he's quick to ask for grace. So when you find yourself in a pattern of prayerlessness, if you're thinking, man, my prayer life really stinks, go back to the other side of this this diagram and ask yourself, where's my thankfulness? Am I thankful for things? Am I dependent upon the Lord? And in the midst of all of that, you need to be asking yourself, am I informing myself from my affections, or am I informing myself from God's word? And so that's a a spiral and a cycle that will continue, and it will continue, and it will continue. It will keep going by itself. It won't change. It doesn't change because the weather gets better. It doesn't change because your income changes. It doesn't change because circumstances turn out differently. That person remains the same kind of person. It only changes when you counsel yourself with biblical truth. And it starts by understanding, in our second section now, that you have a much better understanding of what you truly deserve. And you let what you truly deserve shepherd what you desire. So the first thing we're going to look at here is what we need to tell ourselves throughout the day concerning our desires. Because our flesh will lie to us with our desires. So we're going to look at a couple of Proverbs and we'll get a better look at what we need to tell ourselves. And these all involve God's plans. So what we're going to do now is we're going to get the other sheet out, which is the blue one. So if you have that, hold that aside and get ready to look at that. But we need to be telling ourselves what is true about our desires. And Proverbs 16 helps us understand that well. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. And look at how the subordinate relationship is happening here. The plans of the heart belong to man. So man makes his plans. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motive. The man's plans do belong to him. The man has plans, and oftentimes those plans are good. They're his. They're good. They're for good things. But verse 1 tells us the answer, the final word, the amen, is from the Lord. So we can make well-laid plans, plans that we've even prayed over, plans that we've sought counsel in, plans that we've prepared for. We can make all of those. Um, But at the end of the day, the course of events will be the ones that the Lord has decreed are going to happen. 
So we need to tell ourselves, I need to submit my desires and my affections and my emotions to God's predetermined plan for my day. That's why we mentioned here again and again in Build that God had already determined everything that would take place in his creation before he created any of it, before he spoke light into existence. That feeds into our thinking every day. God has already decreed what will happen. It's going to happen according to his purpose. So I need to submit my desires to those purposes. Just a few verses later, Proverbs 16, 9. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. It's the same idea here, except it's intensified a little bit. Even the very steps of a man is under God's control. Where you go, what you say, what you do, where you find yourself, who you find yourself on the phone with uh, is under the Lord's control, not your own. I had no idea that I would spend so much time on the phone with insurance and with plumbers and with water damage mitigation people this week, that that was God's predetermined plan for me, even though I had other plans. So I needed to counsel myself as I was preparing this message that this is God's predetermined plan for this day. And it's to answer questions from my kids like, how much longer is this going to be? Or when are we going to get this fixed? Or are we getting new carpet or anything else? And I'm working on this message. That was God's predetermined plan for that day was that I needed to be a father as well as a damage mitigation specialist. So the first thing we need to tell ourselves is that we need to submit our plans to God's plans. Now we need to talk about what I must tell myself throughout the day concerning what I deserve. And we talk about this a lot in Build. The reason why we, we go through it just about every week together is so that it's part of our thinking and part of who we are as men. Romans chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Look at the characteristic that's being spoken of here in the unbeliever. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. It's really good for us when we have desires to counsel ourselves in what we truly deserve. There was a time when I was stubborn, and one of the fundamental characteristics of God is that he is an avenging God, and he is going to pour out his vengeance in response to my offense against him and my sin against him. So whenever I'm looking at something that hasn't worked out the way I would desire it to work out, I need to tell myself, I deserve to be feeling the full weight of the Father's judgment and vengeance against me right now in a place called hell. And I deserve to spend eternity locked in a burning lake of fire. That's what I deserve. So today is a very good day because I'm vertical, I'm breathing, I'm living here. And something didn't go up according to my plan. Something didn't turn out as well as I desired. Romans 5, 9, just a few verses later. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Christ. I need to tell myself regularly, my biggest problem has been solved. This is what Matt Dodd shared in his testimony. My biggest problem has been solved. My biggest problem is not that my desire right here was not met. My expectation was not met. That's not the biggest thing. The biggest thing is I'm not going to spend eternity in a lake of fire. And the reason why is because I've been justified by the blood of Christ. This is very, very basic. But this is the first thing we need to tell ourselves when things don't turn out the way we believe. So I need to make sure that I'm guarding my mindset from one of disappointment and discouragement and despair. Romans 6, 23, next chapter. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has a design for my life, and it's come in the form of a free gift that was given to me. So what business do I have to be grasping something else that God did not have for me? He has eternal life for me, and he gave it to me freely. I don't have any business grasping something that's not in his plan for me. So that's what I need to tell myself about what I deserve. That's very, very important. I also need to understand about my perceived rights. Because we all fall into the place of thinking that we have rights, we have entitlements that we belong, that should be ours. Whether it's how we get treated, or what comes to us, or some consequence that we deserve. 
We believe from time to time that we have perceived rights. Luke 17 is a great chapter. Luke 16 is a chapter where Jesus describes Lazarus and the rich man, and the rich man is in Hades, and Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. And in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is giving us four verses here that describe the mindset that a servant of Christ should have. I want to read this, and it's a story of a, a slave. The analogy is a slave is out in the field, and he comes in, and he's serving his master inside the house. Starting in verse 7 of Luke 17. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down and eat. But he will not say to him, will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I sit and drink. And afterward, you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, he's referring to believers here. When you do all the things which are commanded, you say we are unworthy slaves We have done only what we ought to have done. The mindset here is that I'm a slave to my master, Jesus, and I should put absolute confidence in his plans for me. His plan for me are those things that come to pass. You can tell what God's desire for design for your life is by what happens in your life. Look at one other verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. We're going to look at verse 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. My salvation has cost me something that's very, very substantial, and that is my identity. I'm no longer the ruler of myself. I don't have any longer the freedom to think and act autonomously. I glorify my God in my body at the end of verse 20, by submitting my desires and my plans to his plans for my life. So that's what we need to tell ourselves about our perceived rights. I don't have any rights anymore. My rights have gone away, and God has a design for my life, and he's going to use my life according to his purpose and his plan. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look at the blue sheet, and we're going to start at the bottom of the sheet. And when we understand what we truly deserve for ones who don't make demands of the Lord, instead, we make requests of the Lord, We end up being obedient to whatever he brings forth from us. And we're very hopeful of what is taking place. So we'll start at the bottom. Because I understand that my trial is so much better than what I deserve, I can request of the Lord trusting him to work for my good. So the first thing that I demonstrate is that I'm a submissive man. Oh, wait, I got that one wrong. got that one in the wrong place. Let me start at the bottom. Trusting. Okay. Tell you what, we're going to do this one first. What you're seeing here is that I was distracted when I was preparing my message. So the message that I'm supposed to be telling you is the last thing we're going to do is the thing I'm going to share with you first. Okay, so this is a person who he's understood what God is doing and he's submitting himself to God's design. Sorry about that, guys. Um, We're going to look at James chapter 4. Verses 13 to 15. This is really important. If you have a Bible, would you turn to James 4, 13 to 15? And we are going to make this work, guys. This is a guy who's submissive. So James, very practical book, half-brother of Christ. He writes about how a person should think about his future plans. Okay? And that the, um, the main thrust of this is going to be in verse 15. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow... We will go to this place or that place, such and such a city, and spend a year there and engage in business and make profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, and this is it, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. The submissive man is the one who knows that every aspect of his life is under God's control, including whether or not he's alive. And so the first thing he asks himself is not, what do I want to do? The first thing he asks himself is, God has sustained me today, and then I examine his will. The reason I'm alive is because the Lord has willed it. All right. 
Because I understand that my trial is so much better than I deserve, I can lay aside my desire for comfort and pleasure, and I can submit in obedience to God's plans for me. So this is the humble man. We're going to look at humility right in the middle there. We're going to look at Colossians verse, chapter 3, verse 12. And we're going to see here, these are the outward embodiments of what a believer is. Colossians 3.12. This is a wonderful passage, by the way. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. One who has been chosen by God, he puts on a heart of humility. He demonstrates his humility by submitting in obedience to God's plans for him. In the same way that when Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, we demonstrate our humility by submitting to God's design for our life. So that translates into an action on the other side, and that action is gentleness. And you know where you find the teaching on gentleness. It's in the the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Gentleness is very important that we understand what it is. It's not being a softy. Gentle is to rely on the strength of another. Someone who's gentle relies on the strength of another. A believer who's gentle is relying on God's strength. The gentle man is characterized by his reliance on God's strength and not on his own. So what you find yourself doing is saying, I'm not going to assert myself. I'm not going to make this happen. I'm going to rely on God's supreme control over all events that he will oversee and he will architect exactly what he has determined should take place. And because I understand that my trial is so much better than what I deserve, I can wait and hope for my trial to end I can be excited for what God is going to teach me through this. And so I have all kinds of actions. And so what I end up doing is I end up being the kind of person who prays. And he's in contact with God. Whereas the guy in the previous sheet was prayerless and he was far from God. He wasn't asking God. This person is a man whose life is full of prayer. Because he sees what God is doing. Even though it's not what he was expecting God to do. He's trusting the Lord. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How the person thinks about this is everything. When he comes before the Lord, he's not just praying, but it's how he prays that's so important. He prays with thanksgiving. Lord, this is what you have done. I can be thankful because you are revealing your hand in what you are doing here. Even though it's not what I expected, it's exactly what you have planned. And because he's already submitted to the Lord's will, he freely asks that God would do whatever it is that he's determined to do. So the main thing here is that we're using God's word to counsel our heart. God's word tells us that God has already determined what will take place. And the humble believer is the one who trusts in the Lord and believes in him. Even when what takes place is not what we had expected. So that's going to be our our challenge this week. Whatever we step into, whether it's something that we find waiting for us when we go back home here in the next hour, or whether it's what we find waiting for us on Monday morning at work, whatever it is, um, we have the opportunity to demonstrate the fruit of our relationship with the Lord by trusting him and his design for our life and informing ourselves from scripture by what we deserve. Or we can choose to listen to ourself and our heart that deceives us so often. So my prayer in my heart for each one of you guys is that you are taken with God. You are trusting the Lord that everything you see him doing can be, you can trust him in all of those things to work for your good. Romans 8.28 says, we know that God works in all things for our good to those who love him and called according to his purpose. So as a believer, you can know that God is at work for your good, even if it's not what we expected. So counsel your heart well with that. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these men. I thank you for your goodness and your grace to each one of them. Lord, I thank you that you have already determined all the events of human history and you are going to bring them to pass. Lord, I pray for each one of these men and I pray for myself that you would grow us in our confidence and our trust in you and you would grow us in our distrust of ourselves. 
Lord, when we begin to start thinking and informing ourselves from our own affections, I pray that you would notify us, you would help us to see that quickly. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember what we deserve, that we would be humble in that. And I pray for each one of these men that that would bear fruit in their lives again and again and again. Thank you, Lord, that the day is coming when sin will no longer be a part of us and we will be with you forever. I pray that you would sustain us until that day, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.